Welcome to the Birmingham Bible Conference hosted by Glen Iris Baptist Church. We extend an invitation to you to come visit us at 1137 10th Place South in Birmingham. The Monday through Wednesday a.m. service begins at 11, or you can join us at noon each day for the delayed broadcast of the morning service. The evening service begins at 7 p.m., or you can join us for the live broadcast each evening. Returning for this year's Birmingham Bible Conference is Dr. Brian Green from London, England, where he has pastored the Calvary Baptist Church for over 50 years. Dr. Green is a gifted preacher and teacher of the Word of God, speaking in many conferences as well as the director of the annual Highly Bible Conference held in Hertfordshire, England. We trust you will find help and encouragement from God's Word today as we now join the Glen Iris Baptist Congregation for the Birmingham Bible Conference. Thank you for those who have come and supported the meeting and been with us. It's been such an honor to have Dr. and Mrs. Green with us. And you can always know that you're going to get the sound teaching of the Word of God when, when Brother Green is here. And so uh, I've already told him, I put my order in for what I want him to preach on next year. That's, you don't even do that to a preacher, do you? But he has a, an amazing a series on the, the blessings of the tribes of Israel from Jacob. And I think that would be a fitting thing for a Bible conference, don't you? So need to pray over that, brother. Not that I'm putting any pressure whatsoever there, you know. And uh, maybe the, the Lord would be pleased to lay that upon your heart. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon his word tonight. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do abide with us. Even when we do not sense it with our emotions or senses, your word declares you have spoken. Lo, I am with you always, and I will never, never leave thee nor forsake thee. Oh, Lord, what promise could be greater than that? And we thank you for your abiding presence. We thank you that you're our God. Ours, that personal pronoun, how could we imagine that we could claim you and call you our God? And yet you have condescended to us and come to us in such a gracious way. Now, Lord, come again in your word tonight and speak to us. We know that you do speak today, but you speak through your word, the holy, infallible word of God. All that you want us to know is contained in these pages, and I pray that you would give your servant liberty and unction to say exactly what you'd have us to know. And may these words permeate our being, and may we live out the truth that we learn. We pray in Jesus' precious and matchless name. Amen. May I say how very pleased Pat and I have been to have been with you once again in your conference, and we certainly count it a privilege to be here, and we really mean that. I know that many uh, speakers will get up and say that sort of thing, but it is a privilege to come here. Uh, we've been here now for a number of years, and the love that you've shown to us is something very special, and we appreciate it immensely. Uh, we really do. Uh, we come uh, with much trepidation, uh, and uh, preachers will understand me when I say that, and I, we mean it. But the Lord has blessed us once again, and we're quite, we feel it's quite remarkable how uh, we come in weakness and uh, in a time when perhaps we wouldn't necessarily want to come physically, but uh, the Lord has blessed us and, and blessed us in a remarkable way. 
And I want to thank you and thank the pastor and his wife as well who show so much love to us and help us in so many different ways. And if we've been a blessing, just thank the Lord. That's what we say, because that's the right thing, of course, isn't it? Because any blessing that uh, is received must come, first of all, from the Lord. Now, I've been much in concern today about the message I should bring. Uh, Tonight is our last night of this conference this year, and uh, I want it to be a message from heaven. I really do. And uh, I've had two or three messages on my mind, and uh, I could almost preach them all, but you'd be here till 12 o'clock then, and that would be too too late for American people, I'm sure. Uh, but I want you to turn with me, if you will, please, the psalm that was read for us. It's Psalm 48. I must confess that this psalm is a very special psalm, as far as I'm concerned. And if you were to push me and say, what's your really favorite verse out of the scriptures? I would say the verse that I want to bring to you as a message tonight. It's the last verse in Psalm 48, and so it's verse 14. Psalm 48 and verse 14. For this God is our God for ever and ever. He will be our, gu- our guide even unto death. This is a remarkable statement of confidence and of testimony. I don't know of any other scripture which gives so much confidence and testimony as this particular verse that we have for our consideration. And I think that there's no better verse perhaps than, uh, than this than as we come to the conclusion of a conference that we've tried to minister the word of God. In the past, in my own country, in Great Britain, it has been an honourable thing for a family to have a motto, uh, to have a coat of arms, and to have a crest. I don't know if you understand just what I'm saying when I say that, but many families, even to this very day, will have that, and they'll hang it on the wall, and they'll look back upon their past, or their past family, family's history, and thank God uh, for it. Of course, some mottos have uh, survived, haven't they? Some great cities have always had mottos. Some are now buried and perhaps forgotten. Uh, London, where I come from, has today, who shall separate us? But really, when it was first uh, the motto, and the true motto is, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then Glasgow is exactly the same, because Glasgow in Scotland actually had a, a motto which said, Uh, the gospel shall flourish, or no, Glasgow shall flourish by the preaching of the gospel. Well, they've cut out the preaching of the gospel, and so they just say Glasgow will will flourish. Of course, in the United States of America, we're still thankful that we see in God we trust. Perhaps uh, many people don't, but nevertheless, it's wonderful to see it and to behold it. It's still a testimony and a witness, and you should pray that it might be really that. We've all heard of John Knox in past history. Uh, John Knox had a a wonderful motto, fear no man. It was said of him that he feared God so much that he feared man so little. And I think that was a good one, wasn't it? Uh, Certainly very good indeed. We had one of our great leaders uh, by the name of Cromwell. If you've studied any history at all, you'll perhaps have heard of Cromwell. He was a wonderful Christian man. His motto simply was, he that ceases to be better ceases to be good. 
And again, what a lovely motto, really, actually, to have. When you turn to the Word of God, I suppose that we would have to surmise which were the mottos. You come to John the Baptist, and perhaps the words that he spoke, he must increase and I must decrease. That's one of the greatest mottos that anyone could ever have. You think of the Apostle Peter, what do you think he would have? Well, I don't know, but I surmise in my mind uh, that his motto really would joy unspeakable and full of glory. What about the Apostle Paul? So many scriptures that we've already considered together. We considered one last night, of course. Uh, but perhaps out of that Philippian epistle, uh, the most well-known one would be for to be to live is Christ. And that would be his uh, motto himself. But here is the motto and the resolution of, of the ancient people. And there must have been a specific occasion uh, when this was actually written. And I believe that there was. I want to suggest to you tonight uh, that there are three psalms that go together. Very often there are psalms that actually go together. You'll know that Psalm 22 and 23, which we all know, and 24 really go together. and You have to look at them uh, in one uh, sitting. But there's three psalms here, and we call these psalms the trio of pearls. Psalm 46, Psalm 47, and Psalm 48. If you know the beginning of these psalms, of course you'll know God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We come to Psalm 47, oh clap your hands. And then you come to uh, Psalm 48, God, uh, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Now why do they begin in such a manner and in such a way? Well, if we go back into history, we'll remember that there was a wicked invasion by Sennacherib. Uh, they had wonderful names, these people who were Assyrians or Babylonians, didn't they? I always liked the name of Tiglath-Pileser. I remember someone had a cat that was named Tiglath-Pileser. So when they had to call their cat, they said, Tiglath-Pileser, where are you? <laughs> Quite remarkable, the intuition of some people and uh, the great uh, way in which they think of things. Uh, but Sennacherib was one of the great kings of, of Assyria. And you may remember that the king of Assyria came uh, to Jerusalem. It was in the time of Hezekiah, the king and Isaiah the prophet and they were two godly men weren't they and how remarkable when you read their story uh, you see something of, of how God blessed them and how God used them in such a, a wonderful way well Sennacherib invaded the land uh, he had uh, defeated everything that came in his way and then he comes to Jerusalem and when he comes to Jerusalem, they surround the walls of Jerusalem that were there at the time. And it seems that it's an impossible situation because here's this great army from Assyria. They were the world leaders in that day and age. And when you look out and you would see the army round about Jerusalem, the situation is absolutely impossible. Defeated everything in its path. It had everything on its side. The number of soldiers were greater. The expertise, and perhaps we may call the technology of warfare in that day, they had it all. And sooner or later, the walls are going to come down and they're going to conquer this little place called Judah or Jerusalem 
and so we read, and you can find, find it for yourself in Utu Kings, I think it's 19, and also in the story of, of, uh, of the king Hezekiah as well. And Isaiah records it, doesn't he, from, some, from chapter 36 and, and onwards to 39, I believe. But you will find that what actually happened was that uh, Sennacherib sent a letter to, to the king Hezekiah, and he, with, with Isaiah, went to the temple spread it before the Lord and prayed over it and God gave them a remarkable confidence at this particular time. Now if you turn and think of Psalm 46 which we all perhaps know quite a bit about it's a psalm of trouble isn't it? It's a psalm of difficulty, a psalm of, of, of wonder and, and you can imagine the, the great army is round about the city at this particular time God is our refuge of, and strength a very present help in trouble therefore will we not fear though the earth uh, be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea though the waters thereof roar and be troubled though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof Selah what do you think of that? you see when you look at all the situation that was happening it was terrible uh, it was awful the people are going to be destroyed at any moment's time. But then God stepped in, didn't he? In a remarkable way, in a wonderful way. The word of God tells us that he sent an east wind. Uh, we, again, would surmise what that might have been. But what we do know is that 185,000 of the soldiers were destroyed in a night. And uh, the army, which was a very little army of Messiah, uh, did nothing at all about it. And so they look out and they see all these dead bodies and we see all the other Assyrians going home who, who were left. And Sennacherib himself hurrying away as fast as he possibly could. You could imagine it, couldn't you? 185,000 people being slain in a night. And so Psalm 40, 47 comes in. They look outside, they oh, clap your hands, O ye people, shout unto God with a voice of, of triumph. The Lord Most High is terrible, he's a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us, and nations under our feet. He shall choose our, our, our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. Can you imagine it? That's exactly what they said, you see. And the people certainly clapped their hands at that. This was a great victory, and they did nothing at all. God himself, in his uh, mighty way, he did that. But then, after this is all done, and all of it has been before the people, and they've rejoiced, and they've praised God, they're now looking back. Uh, and they're looking back in reflection. And in looking back in reflection, they say, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. Can you see now how this psalm fits in, in such a manner and in such a way? And then finally, finally they come and they're looking back and they say, for this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. Now you can see, this is a psalm of resolution, isn't it? And I want for us tonight to look at it in that way if we possibly can. This was Israel's resolution, but it should be our resolution as well. I don't know what you do in your Bible, but sometimes I put my initials next to a text, 
because it's my text. The Lord's blessed it to my soul, blessed it to my heart. Uh, I have a small Bible with me coming away as I have, and I haven't got room, but I've got it marked very plainly in my Bible. This is my text for this God who has blessed me, this God who has uh, helped me, this God who has led me, this God who has been so good to me. This God is our God, my God, forever and ever. He will be my guide even unto death. Now you can see where it fits in and how we look at it. The psalmist's resolution our resolution. I want you to notice, first of all, in our text, uh, the declaration of the psalmist. You may know that I like to go through a verse like this and look at every word, because every word is inspired in the word of God. And you'll see here, his declaration, he said, for this God is our God forever and ever. This God, this God. There's a message of distinction, isn't there, when he says, this God. Because there were many gods uh, in the day that the people lived. There's the god of Molech, uh, which was the god of the Amorites, who, who had human sacrifice. They sacrificed their babies to this god. Then there was the, the god of Baal, the Canaanite deity. Then there was the god of the Philistines, Dagon, which was the fish god. Then there were all the gods of Egypt that you know a little bit about because of the plagues on Egypt. And then there were the gods of the Babylonians and the Assyrians as well. And all these gods, they were surrounded. And that is why uh, he said, this god you see, their gods were stone and wood and metal. Uh, and the psalmist in Psalm 115 says, They have eyes, but they see not. Ears, but they hear not. Mouths, but they speak not. Noses, but they smell not. Hands uh, and feet, but they go not. You'll remember what the psalmist says, and you can remember that psalm, no doubt. They're gods of imagination, aren't they? Uh, but this God is our God forever and ever. He's the living God of heaven. And we say tonight, Amen. Why? Because this God, the same God as the God of the Israelites, is our God. And he's the one that lives forever and ever. It's not a, a God of our imagination. But we would ask ourselves the question, who is this God that we say this God is our God? Who is he? Well, now let's go back and see in the Psalms once again. We go back to Psalm 46 because this, of course, is a trio of pearls and they're all together. And so we look into Psalm 46 to see if we have any description of this God. And yes, we do. Because in verse 7 it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah, what do you think of that? And then in verse 11, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. You notice the reoccurring phrases, it speaks about the Lord of hosts. But who is the Lord of hosts? He's the God of Jacob. You see, he's the God of pardon. You'll remember just what Jacob was like. He was a cheater, wasn't he? The Bible speaks of him as being a supplanter. He was twisted in what he thought and how he did. And, and you read things about him and you are embarrassed that this man should do these things. But God changed him, didn't he? Changed him in a remarkable way. And, and pardoned his, his sin. And, and this underman, underhand man, this deceiver, this sinner, this worm, was ransomed, healed, restored, and forgiven. And God forgave him 
all of his sins. We sing sometimes, who is a pardoning God like thee? And who has grace so rich, so free? All tonight, if anyone asks us who this God is, he's the God that pardons my sin. Isn't it wonderful to know that your sins are forgiven? If you had Sankey's hymn book, you could look up a hymn in there, and I don't know, you might have it in your hymn, I don't know. Uh, but it's tis something more than gold, tis something more than gold, to know your sins are all forgiven, tis something more than gold. Isn't it wonderful to have your sins forgiven? Oh yes, we know our sins, and God knows more of our sins other people may not know just what we're like, but we desperately need forgiveness of sins, don't we? And this is the only place that we can have forgiveness of sins. It's by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's the God that pardons. But who else is he? Oh, he's the God that promises. I want you to turn now to Psalm 47 and verse 9. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. The God of Jacob, we know that he's the one that pardons. And now we come to the God of Abraham. He's the God of promise. Remember this, that Abraham received the promises of God that his seed should be as the dust of the earth, as the stars of the heaven, as the sand of the seashore. And it happened, didn't it? God fulfilled his promise, didn't he? And even till this very day, with the Jewish people, God is still fulfilling his promise. There's no question about him, uh, about that. And, and we know that he promised Abraham as well, that in him the nations of the earth will be blessed that he would re, uh, inherit the land, uh, the land which he was a stranger in. My, all these things became true. And when you look at Abraham, you have to say, God is a God that promises. Uh, could we count the promises of God in the word of God? That was almost impossible, isn't it? Oh, I think it is. You look at the word of God and you see the promises there. So many promises to bless those who will obey him. And we must believe the promises. We must stand upon the promises. Promises to keep us. Promises to supply us. Promises to strengthen us. Promises to guide us. To promises to help us in our battle. Promises to receive us to glory. Isn't the word of God wonderful? There's a promise for every day. There's a promise for every situation. There's a promise for every person. What promise did God give you today? Have you searched it out? Do you know what it is? When you pray, before you read the scriptures, you say, Lord, show me the promise you want me to have today and help me to do that which is right in thy sight. But he's a God who promises. There's no question about that. When George Matheson, I don't know if you know him again, I think you do, but George Matheson was a blind preacher. He had a a very disappointing moment in his life. He was engaged to be married and he was going to marry the girl of his dreams and he loved her and uh, suddenly he was told that he was going blind and there was no cure in his day and age. He would go blind. She couldn't handle that and she didn't feel that she could marry a blind person and so she left him and broke off the engagement. He was a Christian became a Christian minister 
Uh, and he wrote the hymn, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. And, and in writing that hymn, he wrote uh, one of the lines which the hymnologists came along and they changed. They thought it was a better rendering uh, because they thought that was the right way. I trace the rainbow through the sky and feel the promise is not vain. He didn't write that. He wrote, I climb the rainbow in the sky and pre feel the promise is not vain. See, that's what we've got to do. We've got to climb the rainbow. The rainbow is God's great promise, isn't it? You know, at this particular time, when uh, Sennacherib had, had, had invaded the land and, and Hezekiah knew that the position was hopeless and Isaiah thought that as well, uh, there were some words that came to Hezekiah that he passed on to the people. You may like to turn to them because they're wonderful words. It's in 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 8. 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 8. And sometimes when you read these words, you need to see if you have a margin in your Bible. And a margin will give you an alternative rendering of the Hebrew word. And that helps you to understand it a little more. But verse 8 reads this, With him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested, that's the word, rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. You see, that's the word that God had given him to give to the people. And they rested themselves upon the word. Now if you have a, a margin, it says, leaned, leaned. So it would be leaned themselves on the words of Hezekiah. Leaned. Like you'd lean on a stick. Like you'd lean on, on a table. Like you'd lean to help you in time of trouble and, and in time of difficulty. Uh, this is the leaning. Isn't that lovely to understand that? Who is this God? He's the God of promise, isn't he? When you go back into the Old Testament, you'll remember the names of God. And the names of God were given so that the people may know the nature of God and the conduct of God, who he was and what, what he would do. Remember that wonderful name, Jehovah Jireh. That's the Lord will provide a promise from God. What about Jehovah Nissi? That's the Lord is my banner in the battle and, and in the conflict. Uh, Jehovah Rophi, what does that mean? It means the Lord is my health. Uh, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. Roi, the Lord is my shepherd. Sid Kenyu, the Lord is my righteousness. Uh, Shama, the Lord is presence. The Lord Saboath, the Lord is powerful. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Can you see this? You see, this God who promises is a God of power, isn't he? And not only is he a God that pardons my iniquities and cleanses me from my sin because Jesus died upon the cross at Calvary for my, for my sin, but he promises me all these wonderful promises. But what else can we see? There's another thing I want you to see, and that is that he is a God of power. He really is. We turn to our psalm, 48, and I want you to notice uh, the verse 8 in our psalm. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish it forever. Celia, what do you think of that? Can you see this? What a wonderful thing it says there. 
because it says, who is this, who is this God? The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. Three times that's mentioned in the scriptures that we've been looking at, Psalm 46, 47, 48. And three times really means uh, that it's very important indeed. Our God is not an impotent God. He's the God of hosts. He's not a puny God. He's the almighty God. He's a powerful, sovereign, reigning God of heaven. Yes, he is. He's in charge of this old world of ours. His power is just the same. It's his power that sustains this whole universe. His power that brought us salvation. His power that keeps us day by day. His power that defeats the devil. This power, this God with all the power, the Lord of hosts. Well, it would take time for me to go back and show you what the scripture speaks about the Lord of hosts. But go back and see how the Lord of hosts was in the life of Jacob. And what did it mean? It meant the whole host of heaven. Everything that God has created, uh, he can bring on his side against that which is wrong. And you go right the way through the scriptures and the Old Testament prophets, uh, which we call the minor prophets. Every one of them used this title, the Lord of hosts. Why? Because it instilled godly courage in the people of that particular moment to show that he's the mighty God of heaven. Oh, my friends, let us understand that this God is our God. That's the declaration the God that pardons, the God that promises, the God that has the power. Oh, my friend, what a wonderful thing it is. And somehow, here's the possession uh, here as well. Let me show you what I mean. In Psalm 48, in the first verse, Grace is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God. And then we go up into verse 8. And, and, and here it is, as we have heard, so we have seen, in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. And then in verse 14, our verse, for this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. Our God, our God, our God. Oh, isn't that lovely? We've been singing a new hymn this week, haven't we? Mine, mine, mine. I know that he is mine. Remember that lovely verse in the Song of Songs which occurs three times. And it says, He is mine and I am his. And we sing that in a hymn forever and forever. We look back into the scriptures and we see Enoch and Abraham and David and Elijah and the disciples and we could go on and speak of many more as well. What was their secret? They knew this God. They knew this God, didn't they? And every one of them said, Our God. Note the certainty here. It says, Forever and forever. One writer said this, Oh, sweet word, forever. Nothing is for, forever in this life, is it? And we know that and we, we realize it. Uh, and, and somehow there's a double word so that you can understand it. For this God is our God forever. That would do, wouldn't it? No, forever and forever. It's a double word, isn't it? It's a double certainty for you and for me. Nothing in this life is for, forever. Ah, but here's a difference. The believer has something. This God is forever and forever. I may slip and fall. I may do things wrong. But oh, how wonderful. This God is forever and forever. Never forsake us nor leave us. That's the psalmist's declaration. 
But let me go on quickly because I want you now to see his expectation because we see it here in the Psalms. Will you see this? It goes on to say ours verse, doesn't it? He will be our guide. He will be our guide. This God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide. That's our expectation. Can you feel the certainty of this? Can you still feel the assurance of it? Can you feel the confidence that the psalmist has? We begin by speaking about our need. We all need a guide. We cannot trust ourselves. We cannot trust others. It's foolish to put confidence in chance or luck. It doesn't exist. This world is a dark place and we know that. Many make shipwreck of their lives. They start with a bright future and a great potential, but they end up on the human garbage pits, don't they? Heap. Many marriages, failures. Many lives, failures. We think of all the wiles of the devil in this day and age. And we know and we understand this. So we need, and also we must recognize that we must fulfill the will of God. That we have an obligation before God. It doesn't matter who you are. The will of God is for your life and for you. And we must fulfill that obligation before God. Oh, that we may know that. And we know something about the weakness of the flesh as well. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And when we, when we are like that, we need something. We need a guide, don't we? And we speak here about the nature of this guide. Some say they're guided by principles or guided by experience, guided again by chance. Others would say they're guided by themselves and by their instinct or by their feelings. But here we have a person. It's this guide, this God, who's guided Israel all down the ages. This God who has guided the saints all down the years. Jesus who said, I am the way. This God who is experienced because he knows the way. He's faithful because he's never let anyone down whatsoever. He's trustworthy as well. We can put our hand into his hand and recognize that he'll never leave us astray. He will be our guide. Tell me, would you say that tonight? Could you really mean it from the depth of your soul? And really mean that this God will be your God? The last thing I want to show you out of this verse is the anticipation. So we have declaration. And the declaration is, for this God will be our God forever and ever. We have the expectation. He will be our guide. And now the anticipation. Even unto death. Even unto death. The text looks back and says, this God. Looks up and says, is our God forever looks at this life and says he will be our guide, looks forward even unto death. My friend, this is a wonderful verse, isn't it? It has everything in it. But notice this. You could read that last little bit three different ways. First of all, he is our guide unto death. It reminds us of the brevity of life. Our lives are just like a vapour just like a shadow, just like the grass that grows and is cut down, just like a tale that is told, the hand's breadth. It's a journey, it's a race, it's a walk. 
We remember the children of Israel going through the wilderness with the pillar of cloud and of fire. But one day they ceased, didn't they? They'd come to the end. And somehow we say, yes, this guide will be our guide even unto death. Isn't that lovely? But there's something better than even that. Because you see, you could translate this from the Hebrew and say, our guide through death. One day our heart will stop beating. We'll have breathed our latest breath and our last breath. We'll enter into the valley of the shadow of death. Our guide will be with us, won't he? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. Pilgrim's Progress tells the wonderful story of Pilgrim going in through this life to the celestial city. And it came to the day when he must cross the river into that city. And, and he says this, One came to conduct me over to the other side. You see, he's a guide even through death. He'll never let any of us down who belong to him. Not one of us. The Lord will be with me. He'll hold my hand. I don't deserve that. But his grace and his love and his mercy are going to be such that he'll carry me right over to the other side. Death to me and death to you if you're a Christian is only a shadow. And a shadow means there's light. And it leads me on into the light. It's only a valley which leads me to the mountain of God. It's only a door, a door of time that leads me to the glory of eternity. And we sing, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. And you'll know him by the nail prints in his hand. Isn't that lovely? You see, he's our guide unto death. He's our guide through death. But listen... Most Hebrew scholars will tell you that it even means more. Because there's another thought as well. He's our guide over death. Over death. That's not the end as far as we're concerned. So that you could read the verse, he will be our guide even over death. Over death. To be with Christ, which is far better. Oh, the Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. He'll guide us through the streets of gold. He'll introduce us to the saints. My, what a day. He's guided me up to death. He's guided me through death. He's guided me over death. And I will be with him and I'll be like him for I shall see him as he is. You know, there's a triple doorway at the cathedral in Milan and there are three inscriptions, one on each of the doorways. You go to the first doorway and there is a, a wreath of roses. And, and in Latin it said these words being translated, all that pleases is but for a moment. That's true, isn't it? All that pleases is but for a moment. You come to the second doorway and it has a sculptured cross. And it says, all that troubles is not forever. Again, that's true. Not forever. You come to the third one. There's not a picture now, but there's just words. And the words translated says this, that only is important, which is eternal. That's true as well. This life is not important. 
but the life to come is. And we must be ready for ourselves. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even over death. Our God, our guide, our God, our glory. May God bless you each one. Thank you for joining us for another service from the annual Birmingham Bible Conference here at Glen Iris Baptist Church in South Birmingham. If you would like a CD copy of Dr. Green's message, please call us at 205-323-1516. Again, that number is 205-323-1516. Or if you choose to write and request copies of these messages, Send your correspondence to Glen Iris Baptist Church, 1137 10th Place South, Birmingham, Alabama, 35205. Again, that address is Glen Iris Baptist Church, 1137 10th Place South, Birmingham, Alabama, 35205. Thank you for joining us either on WAY-TV Channel 47 or WGIB Radio the Where God is Blessing Broadcasting Network.